Section 9 of Wayside and Woodland Trees, A Pocket Guide to the British Silva, by Edward Stepp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Exotic Trees and Shrubs, Part 2. The Bay Tree, Laurus Nobilis. The bay is the true laurel, of whose leaves and berries the wreaths were made in ancient days for poets and conquerors. Naturally, it is more of a shrub than a tree, for though it often attains a height of sixty feet, it persists in sending up so many suckers that the tree-like character is lost. In cultivation, however, it is often grown on a single stem, as well as formed by cutting into arbors and arches. We call to mind a Cornish village where a garden enclosure in its square, or plester, as Gilbert White would say, was surrounded by about a dozen bays so grown. Bays grow abundantly in the gardens of South Cornwall, and we always connected their general cultivation with the pilchard fishery. Certainly these trees in the plester were very convenient in the autumn and winter, for the leaves are an essential ingredient in the proper composition of that seductive dish, marinated pilchards, to which they impart their peculiar aromatic flavor. The bay is a native of southern Europe, whence it was introduced at some date prior to 1562. Prior says the name is the old Roman Baca, a berry, altered by the usual omission of C between the two vowels. This plant having become the Baca par excellence, because its berries were articles of commerce. The evergreen leaves are lance-shaped, without teeth, and arranged alternately on the branchlets. Not all the trees produce the berries, for the sexes are indistinct individuals, and all the white or yellowish four-parted flowers on one tree are stamen-bearing, whilst on another individual they all bear ovaries and no stamens. The berries at first green ultimately become of a dark purple hue. The flowers will be found in April or May, the ripe berries in October. The bay is grown chiefly as a shrubbery ornament and can only survive our winters out of doors in the south of England. Laburnum. Laburnum vulgare. Although the laburnums of our parks and gardens have all come from seed, and themselves produce an abundance of it, we do not meet with wayside escapes, as we might expect to do, having regard to the habit of the tree and the fact that it is comparatively indifferent respecting character of soil. Possibly a remark of Loudon's may explain this. He says that rabbits are exceedingly fond of the bark, and it may be that they destroy any young trees that are unprotected by palings or netting. The tree produces such a glorification of many an ordinary suburban road, when its flowering time comes round, that one would like to note its effect as a common object of the hillside and the woodland, against a background furnished by our more sober native trees. The laburnum is at home in the mountain forests of Central and Southern Europe, but there is no record of its introduction to Britain. We do know, however, that it has been with us for more than three centuries, for Gerard, in his Herbal, published 1597, refers to it as growing in his garden. It belongs to the great pea and bean family, Leguimosinae, and is very closely related to the common broom, whose solitary flowers those of the laburnum's drooping racemes nearly resemble. Ordinarily it is only a low tree of about twenty feet in height, but in favorable situations it may attain to thirty or more. Some of the larger laburnums, however, are of a distinct species. L. alpinus. 
the pale round branches are clothed with leaves that are divided into three oval lance-shaped leaflets covered on the underside with silvery down both leaves and golden flowers appear simultaneously in may but from the fact that the latter are gathered into numerous long pendulous racemes their blaze of color makes the leaves almost invisible tennyson's description of its flowering laburnum dropping wells of fire is fine but we rather prefer cowpers rich in streaming gold as embodying a more exact color idea the flowers are succeeded by long downy legumes or pods like those of the bean and pea containing many seeds which are of a dangerously violent emetic character when introduced to the human stomach the dark wood is of coarse grain but in spite of this hard and enduring and taking a good polish it is chiefly used by musical instrument makers turners and cabinet makers laburnum is the old latin name which is thus rather fancifully explained by prior an adjective from l labor denoting what belongs to the hour of labor and which may allude to its closing its leaflets together at night and expanding them by day common local names are golden chain suggested by the strings of flowers and bean trefoil and pea tree having reference to the leaves and legumes respectively the locust tree robinia pseudacacia although the locust or false acacia is little planted now it is only paying the penalty for having had its merits enormously exaggerated just as human reputations sometimes sink into oblivion after a season of popularity achieved by the persistent booming of influential friends the friend in this case was william cobbett who on his return from the united states about eighteen twenty preached salvation to the timber grower through the planting of robinia nothing in the timber way could be so great a benefit as the general cultivation of this tree so great was the demand thus created that cobbett himself started a nursery for the propagation and supply of robinias and so great is the virtue of a name that people refused the locust trees that every nurseryman had in stock and wished to sell and would be content with nothing but cobbett's robinias which could not be produced fast enough for the demand they thought it was an entirely new introduction though it had been grown in this country as an ornamental tree for nearly two centuries its wood is hard strong and durable but liable to crack and of limited utility the locust was introduced to europe from north america early in the seventeenth century and was then thought to be identical with the african acacia linnaeus named the genius in honor of jean robin a french botanist whose son an official at the jardin des plantes was the first to cultivate the tree in europe it is a tree of light and graceful proportions its branches being long and slender and the long narrow leaflets being broken up into a large number of small oval leaflets arranged pinnately that is feather wise the stipules which are found at the base of the leaf stalk in many plants are in this genus converted into sharp spines the flowers of similar pea shape to those of the laburnum are white and fragrant they are in long loose racemes which droop from the axils of the leaves in may the legumes are very thin and of a dark brown hue this was one of the first american trees introduced to europe and its name of locust came with it the missionaries believing it must be the tree upon whose fruit with the addition of wild honey john the baptist supported himself in the wilderness it is also known as silver chain in contradistinction to the gold chain or laburnum 
also as white laburnum. The Larch Lyrix Europaea an enormous number of exotic coniferous trees are at the present time commonly grown in our parks and pleasure grounds, and even our woods show a considerable variety beyond the Scots pine and yew that nature has alone given us as timber trees in this order. To attempt to give even a very brief account of all these in a pocket volume, in addition to almost the entire woody flora indigenous to these islands, would be manifestly absurd. We can, however, deal with a few representative species of these exotics, and we give the larch the first place by reason of its present plentifulness in extensive unmixed woods and plantations. The larch is naturally a tree of the mountains, and ascends to a greater elevation even than the spruce fir. Unmixed forests of larch in the Bavarian Alps occur between 3,000 and 6,000 feet above sea level, and on the central Swiss Alps it ascends to nearly 7,000 feet. A long winter of real cold is necessary for its full development and the ripening of its wood, and for that reason the timber of the larch grown in England is inferior to that grown in its native countries, because our winters are either short or mild, and neither gives the tree the full rest it needs. It is a European tree, and was introduced, though not in any numbers, to England at some date prior to 1629. For 150 years it appears to have been cultivated here merely as an ornamental garden tree. Then attention was called to its value as a timber tree, and the Society of Arts offered gold medals for larch planting and essays upon its economic importance. Already, 1728, the second Duke of Athol had begun those experiments in larch growing for timber, which have been continued by his successors on a vast scale. The fourth Duke, planting 27 million larch trees on 15,000 acres of barren land. Their example has been copied on a smaller scale all over the country. The larch is a lofty tree, with a very straight, tapering trunk ordinarily attaining a length between 80 and 100 feet, but under very favorable conditions 120 feet, with a girth of bole from 6 to 12 feet. The brown bark is easily separable into thin layers, and the growth of the tree causes it to split into deep longitudinal fissures. The long lower branches are spreading with a downward tendency, and the tips turned upward again. The twigs are mostly pendulous and bear long and slender light green leaves in bundles of thirty or forty. All the other families of coniferous trees are evergreen, their leaves lasting for several years, but at the beginning of winter the larch leaves wither and fall, and the larch wood takes on a more lifeless aspect than is assumed by any of our native trees in their leafless condition. But in spring, when the fresh green leaves are just showing and spreading tufts, and the reddish-purple female flowers, Tennyson's, rosy plumelets, hang brightly from the gaunt branches, the larch wears an entirely different appearance, and in summer the light grace of branches and foliage makes the larch a beautiful object. That is, one should say, the trees that grow on the very outer edge of the wood, or, better still, one that has been planted as a specimen tree, where it has room to fling out its arms on all sides without touching anything, and can get the abundant light it needs. The straight rows in the plantation, with every tree at an equal distance from its neighbors, and its lower branches dead, may be very pretty from the timber merchant's point of view, but one likes to think of the tree as a living thing of beauty rather than as a detail in a factory where scaffold poles and telegraph posts are being grown to regulation size and shape. The brown cones are egg-shaped, little more than an inch in length, the scales with loose edges. The wood is very durable, and it has the great recommendation of being fit for ordinary use when the tree is only forty years old. 
it is most valuable for those purposes where exposure to all weathers is a necessity for it endures constant change from wet to dry large bark is used for tanning and venice turpentine is a product of the tree unlike most conifers it has the power of sending out new shoots when the branches have been removed close up to the stem large plantations sometimes present the appearance of death whilst they are still covered with foliage but the leaves are yellow and twisted this most frequently occurs in the case of trees between the ages of ten and fourteen years and is due to the depredations of a leaf mining caterpillar which ultimately changes into a minute moth the larch miner colophora laricella it feeds in the interior of the larch needles and therefore is beyond the reach of destruction except by felling and burning affected trees to prevent the spread of the pest its ravages keep the tree in ill health and apparently prepare the way for the deadly attack of another small enemy known as the larch canker the fungus peziza wilcomi sickly trees are also liable to the attentions of a wood wasp cyrix juvencus whose appearance is usually the cause of a little terror in nervous persons it has two pairs of smoky transparent wings and its stout straight blue body terminates in a long slender point its large white grub spends two or three years tunneling towards the heart of the tree and out to the bark again but rarely attacks sound trees it sometimes makes its appearance in a house from wood that has been used for building purposes the silver fir abes pectinata Evelyn has left on record the fact that a two-year-old specimen of the silver fir was planted in Harefield Park near Uxbridge in the year 1603, and this is usually regarded as the date of its introduction to England, though the evidence is by no means conclusive. Its home is in the mountain regions of Central and Southern Europe. Its highest range appears to be on the Pyrenees, where it is found at an elevation of 6,500 feet, forming pure forests of considerable area specimens have been recorded in southern germany that have attained a height of nearly two hundred feet but in this country a more usual stature is from one hundred to one hundred twenty feet with a bowl girth between ten and fifteen feet its trunk is straight and erect tapering gently and covered with smooth bark of grayish brown color which in aged specimens becomes rugged and fissured longitudinally as shown in our photo and of a silvery gray color it retains its lower branches for a period of forty to fifty years but after that age they begin to fall off whilst the tree is growing up which is roughly speaking during its first two hundred years the crown forms a slender bush but its vertical growth completed the crown grows laterally and becomes flat topped its life period covers about four hundred years the leaves are flat and slender not in bundles as in the scots pine but arranged along the branchlets in two or three dense ranks they are dark rich green above about an inch long and on the flattened underside there is a bluish white stripe on each side of the midrib which gives a silvery appearance to the foliage when upturned as is usual on the fertile branches these leaves endure from six to nine years the flowers appear in may at the tips of the branches the male flowers are about three-quarters of an inch long and consist of two or three series of overlapping scales enclosing the yellow stamens the cones are cylindrical with a blunt top always erect six to eight inches long and from one and one quarter to two inches in diameter on the back of each of the broad scales there is a long slender pointed bract which extends beyond the scale and turns downward 
at first these cones are green then become reddish and when mature are brown but maturity is not reached until eighteen months after their appearance the angular seeds are furnished with a broad wing twice their length they are shed by the cones in the spring following their maturity the scales following at the same time and leaving the core of the cone on the tree as a rule the tree does not produce fertile seeds until it is about forty years of age but seedless cones are formed from its twentieth year although the flowers of both sexes are found on the same tree it may be that for a series of years only cones are produced until the silver fir is about twelve years old its growth is slow and its annual increase is only a few inches but later it will be as many feet during this early stage spring frosts often destroy the leader shoot but its place is taken by another shoot and soon the symmetry of the tree is restored if this occurs at a later stage however the tree bears evidence of it in a forked trunk it is a deep rooting species with a branching taproot and succeeds best in an open soil that is moist without being wet the timber which has an irregular grain is strong and does not warp but it is soft and not enduring where it is exposed to the weather it is a yellowish white in color and is largely used for all interior work the spruce fir picea excelsa although we are compelled to class the spruce among introduced species it can lay claim to having been one of the older forest trees of britain for the upper beds of the tertiary formations contain abundant evidence that the spruce was a native here when those strata were laid down of its modern introduction there is no record but from mention of it by turner in his names of herbs in greek latin english etc we know that it was at some date anterior to the publication of that work 1548 it is widely distributed as a native tree throughout the continent of europe with the exception of denmark and holland it is the principal forest tree on the elevated tracts of germany and switzerland and on the central alpine ranges it reaches an altitude of six thousand five hundred feet it is an extremely variable tree but we cannot here deal with the varieties beyond saying that two principal forms different in habit and in timber are outwardly distinguished by one having red the other green cones the spruce fir is a tall and graceful tree with tapering trunk 120 to 150 feet in height though in this country its more usual stature when full grown would be about 80 feet high with a bowl circumference of about nine feet at first covered with thin smooth warm bark in later life this breaks up into irregular scales thin layers of which are cast off instead of a bushy crown as we see in the silver fir the spruce ends in a delicate spire so familiar in the christmas tree which is a spruce fir in the nursery stage the branches are in very regular tiers from base to summit and the branchlets go off almost opposite each other densely clothed with the short grass green needles these are from a half to three quarters of an inch in length four-sided and ending in a fine sharp point they endure for six or seven years the flowers are produced near the ends of last year's shoots those with stamens being born singly or in clusters of two or three they are about three-quarters of an inch in length and of a yellow color tinged with pink the cones which hang downwards are almost cylindrical about five inches long and one and one-half inches in diameter the pale brown scales are thin and loosely overlap the seeds of which there are two under each scale are very small with a transparent brown wing five times the length of the seed 
the flowers appear in may and the seeds are not ripe until nearly a year later the tree is a shallow rooter the roots going off horizontally in all directions a little below the surface and becoming intimately matted with those of neighboring trees this surface rooting often leads to disaster in plantations and forests of spruce for it is least able of all the firs to withstand a gale which will sometimes make a broad avenue through the plantation by toppling the trees one against another the wood of the spruce fir though light is even grained elastic and durable and the straightness of its stem makes it very valuable for all purposes where great length and straightness are required as for the masts of small vessels ladders scaffolding telegraph poles as well as for the varied uses the builder finds for its planks it supplies resin and pitch and most of the cheaper periodicals now issued largely owe their existence to the spruce for its fibers reduced to pulp are made into the paper upon which they are printed although its growth during the first few years is rather slow progress during the next twenty-five is tolerably rapid being at the rate of two or three feet per year if in a favorable situation and on moist light soil when grown in a wood the spruce loses its lower branches early but when given sufficient elbow room these remain to a good old age so that from spire to earth the graceful cone of the bright green is continuous the name spruce is from the german sprossen a sprout in allusion to the numerous short branchlets that are characteristic of the tree end of section nine